0: Good morning. Good morning! How y'all doing today? Awesome. I'm doing great. Thank you so much. If this is your first time joining us here at Hosanna Christian Fellowship, whether you're here in our room or if you're joining us online, we want to say welcome to all of you. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. For those of you who don't know, I am Pastor Nathan, and today we're going to be looking at the first half of the letter of 3 John. I know I said last week that we're gonna try and tackle these books all in one shot but you guys know me 15 verses that that's at least a six-month study right there so um, but the letter of third John we're gonna be tackling that this morning and this is one of the five books that John the Apostle wrote including first John and second John obviously the gospel of John and revelation and this short letter serves as side two of a coin Side one of that coin being the letter of Second John and the coin itself being the teaching that John gives us here about true Christian love expressed in Christian hospitality. You know, together these two letters give important teaching pertaining to the health and the safety of the Christian church, the Christian community. As I said last week, both 2 John and 3 John, they're both very short letters written by John the Apostle towards the end of his very long life, uh, probably written around 90 to 95 AD. And these two letters were written approximately 10 years after he wrote 1 John, which we just concluded a few weeks ago. The setting, if you remember, of these letters was in the early church. There was a lot of uh, traveling teachers and evangelists and missionaries. And these people traveled from place to place. They traveled from fellowship to fellowship, spreading the gospel, planting new fellowships, encouraging the churches, bringing teaching and the word of God to these local fellowships. And during this time, these itinerant ministers depended very heavily on the hospitality, the loving hospitality of their brothers and sisters within the Christian church to just provide for their practical needs. As traveling ministers, they needed lodging, they would need food times they would need finances and so the Christian body were the people who provided these things but the challenge of the day you'll remember from our study through 1st John and 2nd John was that there were false teachers false evangelists people that were taking advantage of this hospitality within the early church to infiltrate these Christian fellowships and to bring and spread false doctrine False teaching lies and untruths about Jesus and who he was lies and untruths about Christianity and what salvation meant and what that looked like in a daily life of a believer and the result of this false teaching was that some people within the fellowships these local fellowships were finding themselves confused worried Unsure about some of the truths that they had previously been so confident of and some of them were being led astray into false doctrines And all of it was wrapped around the identity of who Jesus was what he came to do why he came to do it How that me- how that works in our lives how we are saved and all of the things that are connected to those ideas If you remember first John was a letter written to remind his readers John wrote this letter to remind his readers about the fundamentals of the Christian faith. The fundamentals, who Jesus is, why that's important, what that means to our lives, what that means in how we live in, a, in a, daily, um, a daily manner of living, what that means to our life now and our eternal salvation. He wrote teaching us how to know for sure that we're saved because sometimes many of us, to be quite honest, might find ourselves at times in our lives where we're unsure Am I really saved? If I was saved, would I do that or say that? And so John wrote this letter to address these questions. Now in that letter, he also called out those who would preach and teach anything that would contradict with God's word about who Jesus is and what that means. He called them liars, very boldly. He called them antichrists, even more boldly. And his overall point in that letter was, look, if you're a Christian, Believe in Jesus as he revealed himself to be. Believe in who he is. Believe in who he is as revealed by him and taught by his apostles. This saving faith is then evidenced by a desire to avoid sin, a desire to obey God, not that you do perfectly all the time, but a desire to want to glorify God with your life and your behavior. And then he also said, and then that's lived out in practical loving of other believers in the Christian family the way Jesus loved us. And ultimately, he said, reject those who teach otherwise. Specifically, the false teachers of the time were the Gnostics that we've talked a lot about. He said, reject their false teaching. That was 1 John. Second John, we looked at last week, was written to a particular lady in her family, likely a lady that was hosting a, a local home fellowship in her home. And he wrote the letter to address the, the foundationally good and in intent but bad in application, manner of Christian hospitality that was being exercised there. And what was being exercised is indiscriminate, undiscerning openness with which any and all traveling teachers were being welcomed right into the fellowship. Sure, come on in and say whatever you want. And this was allowing the false teachers to come in and pollute and poison the flock with their lies. Now, third John that we're looking at this morning. Um, is written on the opposite side of that. You know, the idea of 2 John was yes, express love to one another, that's what we're called to do as Christians, but true Christian love requires loving the truth. So be very careful who you extend that hospitality to, who you let into the sheepfold, into the fellowship. Be very careful because extending that hospitality to the wrong people who have wrong motives, who wanna bring wrong doctrine, can rad- radically affect the health of the church. Third John is then written to a very specific individual to address the other side of that coin, to commend a brother for properly exercising loving Christian hospitality, for showing that loving Christian hospitality to the right people, and that's what we're gonna deal with this week. And then it's also written to address a leader in the church who is not showing that loving hospitality to those he should have been, and we'll deal with that next week. So with that, let's pray. Let's spend some time in worship and just praising God for who he is as we set our minds and our hearts right to receive from him the encouragement that he has in his word today. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, that you demonstrated for us in your life and ultimately on the cross that love that would go beyond um, self-want, self-desire. Lord, you expressed the love that was sacrificial You expressed a love that was willing, literally, Lord, to to open up its arms, to welcome all those who would come seeking truth, seeking forgiveness, seeking salvation. And yet, Lord, we know that from that time until now, there have been those who try and pervert those truths and to spread lies about who you are and, and, and our sin and salvation and all of that, God, for various means, sometimes to just prop themselves up with fame, to sometimes just pad their own pockets with finances, Lord. Um, But God, you've called us to be discerning when it comes to truth. Lord, that we're to be very careful in loving because love isn't indiscriminate, Lord. Love doesn't just welcome anything and everything with no discernment applied. But at the same time, Lord, sometimes we can be overly zealous and not show the hospitality that we are called to show to the people we're called to show it to. And so, Lord, may we be encouraged today by your word, God, to be people who practically care for one another, who practically care for our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, Lord, who practically reach out by opening our homes, by helping with practical needs such as clothing, food, and finances, Lord, and that, God, especially when it comes to those that you have called and set aside in the body of Christ to to commit their whole life to pursuing and, and fulfilling the work of the kingdom, God, that we would be reminded of our call to support those individuals. Lord, we thank you, we love you so much. God, we ask that you would just be glorified in our praise and worship today. We love you, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we are in 3rd John. As I mentioned in the introduction here, 3rd John, 3, 3, 3 John is the flip side of 2nd John. Both of these letters are about the expression of Christian love for one another through hospitality. Second John, if you remember, said uh, don't be so quick to express love and hospitality to the wrong people because they might simply be trying to take advantage of it and use it to bring in their weird, false doctrines and teachings into the fellowship and so be discerning, right? The idea of second John was that love is not indiscriminate acceptance and endorsement of all things and all beliefs and all lifestyles by all people. That's not what true love is. Be discerning. Third John was do and is, we're gonna look at that today, do show and express love and hospitality to the right people, right? Don't, don't neglect doing that for everybody. So where second John was true love requires loving the truth, third John is loving the truth requires loving truly. And that's the idea of these two books here, loving the right practical way. And so Third John is a letter written to someone who did just that, who did it the right way, and a rebuke of someone who didn't when they should have. So join me in Third John, John verse one. He says, the elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health just as your whole life is going well. For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And so this letter opens up with the elder. This is John the Apostle referring to himself. He's referring to himself the same exact way he did in 2 John as he opens up with the elder. As I mentioned in 2 John, this term has uh, uh, two different references. One, as, as, um, as he's referring to himself as the elder, he's referring to his status of authority and leadership within the church. His, his position of, of leadership and his apostolic authority, and he's actually going to reference that specifically later on in this letter. And so he starts out by saying the elder. And at this time of this letter, he was the last living apostle. The last eyewitness to the transfiguration of Jesus Christ but in saying the elder he's also referring to his advanced age because the word elder used there can refer to both and so I believe he's referring to both John was in his 90s at the time of writing and it's interesting because in verse 4 he refers to the people receiving this letter as as his children right And so when he's referring to himself as elder, I believe it's in reference to his place as as grandpapa in the Christian family there. And so he's both this um, person of authority and spiritual authority within the church, but he's also just a dear spiritual grandfather to so many of those that he's had the opportunity to minister to. And so he says, to my dear friend Gaius, this is who the letter is written to, and you think, okay, Gaius, who is this? We don't know for sure. It's just some guy us. Right? There is a Gaius that Paul the Apostle references in Romans 16 and 1 Corinthians. Uh, the Gaius reference there is actually one of the few people that Paul himself baptized. Paul references there that I baptized just a couple people, but, but that wasn't his focus. Um, this Gaius that Paul refers to is a person who traveled with Paul on his journeys, we see from the writings of Paul. We also see that he hosted Paul in his home at Corinth, but, but most scholars don't believe that that, that Gaius is this Gaius. And so um, there's no indication one way or the other specifically that it is or isn't. And it's kind of like in 2 John when he opened up to the elect lady and her children, right? There's some disagreement on whether that's an actual person or that's a metaphor. But just like 2 John, regardless of what you believe about the elect lady, regardless of what you believe on who this Gaius is, it has no effect on the teaching of the letter. So we're going to move on. All right? (laughs) But. Gaius, it was just a common name of the time, um, a very, very common name. And it's very possible that this particular person um, was a personal convert of John's. And and I say that because he uses this phrase, dear friend, to my dear friend Gaius. In other translations, that phrase, dear friend, is beloved, my beloved, right? And this was a phrase that John used a lot um, to refer to those in the Christian family, specifically those that he had a direct relationship with. And that phrase, beloved, is a term of endearment. It was used to indicate a very special relationship someone that was deeply loved someone that was cherished Um, and so in in the CSB here that 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 I'm teaching from it it renders it dear friend and so the idea is is in our modern understanding we understand the difference between calling someone my friend and calling someone my best friend right we understand that difference it's kind of that concept here so Dear friend, way more than just a surface level greeting. And uh, in this letter, John calls Gaius, dear friend, four times, and so to me that indicates just a deep personal relationship, someone that John knew directly. And so he says, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. You know, this is the same phrase that he wrote to the elect lady in Second John. And there, if you remember, the idea was that loving somebody in the truth means loving someone according to the truth loving someone because of the truth, or loving someone in line with the truth. And the idea was in order to do that, you have to love the truth. To love someone in the truth requires loving the truth, and then loving the truth leads to loving truly. And so, just like 2 John here and 3 John, there's a big focus on truth a big focus on truth. Second John, the word truth was five, used five times in 13 verses, here it's used six times in 15 verses. And so again, John's heart is that Christians would love one another according to the truth. Would love one another according to the truth because love without truth isn't really love at all. And that's something we see in our world today where people wanna say, oh, in the name of love, all truths are true. In the name of love, all lifestyles are true. In the name of love, all beliefs are true. And that's just simply not true. Because certain things lead to very dangerous um, um, implications in people's lives, and so we just can't say all truth is truth. That's just not true. <laughs> so that's the idea there. So John, in 2 John, he was talking about walking in love is walking in truth, and walking in truth is walking in love, and vice versa. But here in Third John, verse two, he says, dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health just as your whole life is going well. Now, this kind of opening greeting was very common in personal letters written in the time. You know, it's like uh, today, if we were to write a letter, like, what? Pen and paper? Yeah, people still do that, right? We write letters. Um, or if you're typing an email or sending a text, right? Um, you might say, you know, hey, I, I pray this finds you well. Right? It's an opening greeting type of thing that was very common. It's an opening greeting of, of positive condition there. But he says, I pray that you are prospering in every way. And now that word prospering there simply means that things are going well. That things are developing in a positive way. And then he says, prospering in every way and are in good health. Now that phrase, every way in good health, is referring to physical, material, and financial um, conditions. I'm building to a point here, so keep following me, all right? But then he says, just as your whole life is going well. That phrase in some other translations is rendered just as your soul prospers, or just as your own soul prospers. And um, the idea there is that that word life means soul, and that word soul is referring to that that transcendent part of us that, that transcends the earthly. It's referring to your spiritual life, all right? So what John is saying here is, look, as he's opening this letter, I pray that your physical material health is going well just as your spiritual life is. That's what he's saying here. He's just an opening greeting. I pray that things physically and materially are going well for you just as they are spiritually. That's what he's saying here. Now the reason I'm pointing all this out and focusing on this here um, is because of truth. Nothing in this verse indicates or teaches in any way that it is God's will that you and I would or should always be in perfect physical health. Nothing in this verse teaches that, but that is exactly how health and wealth teachers take this verse. That is exactly how word of faith preachers and prosperity preachers take and apply this specific verse. They'll look at 3 John 2 and they'll quote this verse and they'll say, look, this verse is a universal promise of perfect health for every believer, and it's not. It's not. They'll say it's God's will that every believer prosper financially and materially. It is God's will that every believer prospers in in their physical health, and this is what you should be praying for. And the conclusion of that type of thinking is that if your spiritual life is going well, well then your physical, material, and financial life must also be going well. And if your physical or material life is sick or ill, It's because your spiritual life must be bad. And you don't have enough faith. And, well, you're not spiritual enough, and that's why you don't have a Rolls Royce. That's false. That's absolutely false. You know, physical health, material, financial health isn't an indication of spiritual health one way or the other. I've known many solid, strong, faithful believers in my life, like pillars of faith that had poor um, physical or material or or financial health for one reason or another. But I've also known radically wicked, evil non-believers, spiritually dead that had just fantastic financial material health. In fact, physical and, and, and material prosperity can sometimes be the very thing that leads us away from spiritual health. You know, I read a story of a guy that was uh, growing in his faith and he said, you know what, I want to commit to being a faithful giver to my church. And At the time in his life, he made about $1,000 a month and so he said, I'm going to give 10%. And So he was given $100 a month and As he did that, he grew in his faith, and and, and God just blessed him in in his work and his business, you know, and so his income grew, and then he started, uh, arrived at the place where he's like, hey, I could give $1,000 a month, because his income had grown, and he was making $10,000 a month in his business, and he was like, well, I'm just going to keep giving as God gives, and I'm going to be faithful in that, and eventually, this guy was a multi-multi-millionaire giving $1 million a month to his church. Imagine what his income was. But in that time, he started to feel like, maybe, maybe I'm giving too much to my church. I mean, do they really need that much money? You know. And so he went to his pastor one day, and he said, "You know, Pastor, I'm really, I'm really struggling giving this much money to the church. It's just becoming really hard for me in my walk. And the pastor looked at him and was like, man, I don't want you to be in turmoil and strife over this. I mean, you know, I, God doesn't want you to be all wrapped up and struggling with this. And so he said, let's pray. He said, God, I pray that you would reduce this man's income back down to $1,000 a month <laughs> so he can again be a joyful and a faithful steward of what you have given him. And the man was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, 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 uh. well, you said you're struggling, bro. I'm trying to help you out. Prosperity can drive us away from spiritual health. It can drive us away from obedience to the Lord. It can drive us away from faith and trust in the Lord. And so the idea that prosperity in one equals or defines prosperity in the other is is ridiculous. Just as much as the idea of lack of prosperity, prosperity in one equals lack of prosperity in the other, that's also radically unbiblical. It's not at all taught by this verse, and so I wanted to point that out. Now, does God bless his people? Yeah, you know? Are there verses in there where God says, hey, look, trust me in giving and I'll take care of you? Yeah. But if you could find the formula from Genesis to Revelation where it says you put in this many dollars and this many dollars spit out the other side, please show it to me because it doesn't exist. God provides for our needs and he takes care of his people. And we're called to be faithful and trustworthy in trusting him with what he's given us and using that to take care of others, to take care of the church, and to take care of the things that God wants to do through us. And so that's the idea here. But verse three, John goes on to say, for I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. And so apparently John had received Some other good faithful legitimate traveling teachers traveling ministers evangelists whatever and and they had come to John and John had received them and they had then told John about how this guy Gaius was doing how he was treating people it says there that they testified that word testified means eyewitness account so it's very likely that they had been recipients of Gaius's loving hospitality and care as they traveled through his area and now they were telling John about it and John's like yeah they testified to your fidelity to the truth. That word fidelity means faithfulness and commitment or being in line with, right? That same idea. Loving in truth is loving in line with truth, in obedience to the truth, according to what the truth says. And so John then defines fidelity to the truth. He goes, how you are walking in the truth. Now that whole concept of walking in the truth involves us standing for the truth, defending the truth, speaking out on behalf of the truth, teaching, preaching the truth. And since walking in the truth is walking in a love, walking in love according to Second John, we arrived at that idea that truly loving someone is loving them in truth. Truly loving someone is engaging with, engaging with them according to truth that as a way of a recap, truth is not full, total acceptance of every thought, every philosophy, every belief about manner of living, because, well, truth is relative, because it is not relative. Truth is truth. And just to give another story about that, right? Imagine if you came upon a blind man standing on the edge of a cliff. And he calls out to you for directions. Which way should I go? Which way should I go? And you're like, well, I know if he goes straight, he's gonna step off the cliff. (laughs) He's gonna injure himself, probably die. But imagine if you said, oh, you know, it doesn't matter which way you go. All ways ultimately lead to the right destination. As long as you're sincere about whichever way you go, it doesn't matter. That's not loving at all to say. That's not loving at all. Giving someone truthful information, even when it's confrontational, is the most loving thing we could do. Now, yes, we're to do it in love, and we're to do it kindly, and we're to do it, you know, in, in tactfully and all that, but giving them truth is the most loving thing we could do. And so what we see here um, uh, from John here as he's referencing Gaius is that Gaius was a man who loved the truth. Gaius was a man who knew the Word of God. He lived it, and he wanted others to know the truth. And in verse 6, it tells us that others testified to this expression of love that Gaius had shown them. But then John says this really interesting thing here no greater joy. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in truth. And that idea of children there is he's referencing them as spiritual offspring, right? Like a spiritual father to them. They're not literally his kids, but these are people that he's been a part of either leading them to Christ, seeing them being born again, or like Brand new baby Christians and then loving them and ministering to them and seeing them grow up into mature Christians who are walking in love and walking in truth. And, and he's just like, I have no greater joy. If you're involved in ministry and you have an opportunity to disciple or to lead or, you know, just parents even raising your own kids, right? I mean, we could all testify to the fact that when you see them just walking in the truth of Jesus Christ, oh, what joy it brings to your heart, Just how awesome it is to see people choosing to be obedient to the Lord and and instead of choosing sin and instead of choosing wrongdoing, they choose the good things and and they have the the life that Zoe, that, that, that Greek word talks about. You see that blossoming in their lives where there's a vitality and a strength and a joy and a peace and man, it's so awesome to see that. And so John is just like, I I just love seeing that, to see my children treating one another according to Jesus' teaching, loving one another, the way he's commanded us to do and care and concern and all of that. And a part of this expression of love was hospitality that was shown to traveling teachers and evangelists of the time. Second, John pointed out that some of these traveling teachers were false and Christians eager to demonstrate loving hospitality, care and concern, eager to open their doors, did so without careful discernment, and unfortunately allowed in false teachers who brought in poisonous teaching, false doctrines to the fellowship. And John's like, don't do that in Second John. <laughs> don't do that. Right, walking in love is expressed in walking in truth, which means loving truth enough to say no to falsehood. But not all the traveling teachers and preachers were false. Not all of the itinerant ministers and traveling evangelists were were false. Many of them were good and legitimate and spoke the truth and as they went from place to place, they depended on the hospitality from the local believers to survive. They depended on the hospitality and the care of the local church in order to fulfill their calling And, and so they would go from place to place. Now it wasn't like today where there's, you know, Thousand hotels within two seconds of you at all times, right? And, and, and most of them are relatively clean, you know? No, d- hotels in those days were, were really sad and dirty and gross places. They, 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 they were terrible. Um, often hotels in, in these ancient times weren't just dirty and, and gross, but they were also dens of prostitution. They were brothels. And so, so the traveling ministers, it's like, uh, yeah, I don't want to stay there. So, hey, can, can someone, you know, put us up for a few days while we're traveling through? So, verse 5. John says, dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on our journey in a manner worthy of God, And since they set out for the sake of the name or since they set out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from pagans therefore we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth and so Gaius is commended here for for receiving good legitimate faithful traveling ministers and likely receiving them into his own home like yeah you could stay here and I'll I'll feed you and I'll clothe you and 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 we see that because in verse 8 Um, John uses the word support there. Therefore, we ought to support such people. That word support means to assist in supplying what may be needed. To help. To support or care for as a guest. We get that concept. If you have a guest that comes to your home, you don't say, well, enjoy the porch. It might be raining tonight. Here's a Ziploc baggie. Cover up your face. No, we say come in and I have a bed for you or I have a room for you or a couch, right? In many cases, we're like, hey, if you're hungry, I got food in the fridge, or if you're thirsty, I got something I could give you, right? We might give them our Netflix password. Oh, wow, that's love. You know, it's like we, I mean, we we, we demonstrate this, this care and concern for people as guests, and that's what this word support means. Now in verse six, he says, they have testified of your love before the church, and then he says, you do well to send them on their journey. That phrase, send them there, means to send someone off pre- prepared with provisions, supplies, or other necessities. And, and the idea is there is that you send them off prepared with the practical needs, right? Provisions, supplies, and other necessities so that they can accomplish their task that God is calling them to without having to worry about supplying those things. That's the idea here so there's hospitality that Gaius is being commended for and it's a hospitality that that Christians were called to extend towards one another as much as we can is seen in, in 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 this time specifically housing them as they were traveling through feeding them providing for them materially which means providing clothing for them and even providing financially providing money for them when that was needed and the reality is, is full-time ministers, especially traveling ones, then and now, are people who've stepped into a calling and said, okay, God, you're calling me to do this work, that's full-time for the kingdom, and, and so God, I'm just gonna trust you for my needs. I'm gonna trust you for my practical needs. And, and, and they step out doing that while they're serving. And God does so through the local churches, through the local congregations, both then and now. So I see three motives here that I want to focus in on this morning that, um, uh, that we see in Gaius in his commendable um, example of this. Three motives for this kind of hospitality and support. The first one we see in verse 6. John says, you do well to send them on, our journey, on their journey in a manner worthy of God. The first reason that the Christian church is called to, to extend this type of care and hospitality um, to one another, but, but specifically, contextually, those who are, who are out doing ministry full time is because it honors God. It honors God. He says, do it in a manner worthy of God. You know, I don't think we ever represent God more than when we sacrifice in service and support of others. That when we will, will, will give of our time and give of our resources and give of our stuff to support those who are like, hey, I'm, God has this call in my life to do this thing full-time and so therefore I can't necessarily go out and get a normal vocational job because God has me doing this as my full-time job. When we sacrificially support them, it honors God. The second thing we see in verse 7 as a motivator You know, when when we support those doing ministry and, and specifically those doing ministry to the degree where they're literally depending on God for their livelihood, it's a witness to the lost. It's a witness to the world. Look what he says in verse seven. He says, since they set out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from pagans. It's a powerful testimony to the world When God's people support the work of the ministry and those called to do that work of the ministry in a full time capacity, He says they accepted nothing from pagans. Now, that word pagans, there, you know, it doesn't mean like the crazy, you know, shamans in the jungle, you know, and the voodoo witch doctors. It just simply is a term referring to non believers, people who are not a part of the family of God, a part of the church, right? And so this idea here is that that when these Christian uh, ministers would go out, when they would travel, when they would go in and embrace this full-time ministry that they were called to do specifically, the idea was that they didn't have to beg from or they didn't have to solicit funds from those outside the church in order to do the work of the church. Does that make sense? You know, hey world who hates Jesus, I'm gonna go preach the gospel to this lost group of people and I'm gonna bring the hope of Jesus to them. Yeah, the Jesus you hate, the Jesus you don't believe in, so can you fund my trip? What's the world gonna say to that? Like, you're crazy. <laughs> I ain't supporting that. Why should I support that? I don't even believe in that. And he says that they were sent out for the sake of the name. That's in reference to Jesus, right? The, the name of Jesus, the name that is above all, all names. And, and because they were sent out, because they're going for the sake of the name, because they're laboring in this capacity for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, they didn't want to diminish that name in any way. They didn't want to diminish that name by making Christianity look commercial to make it look like a a, a business plan, to make it look like a money-making scheme, right? They didn't want to make it look that way at all, or they didn't want to make the truth that they were bringing to people look false. Because the world would then say, you know, if God is in this, why doesn't he support it? If this truth is so true that you're bringing, why don't the people who also believe in that truth believe in it enough to support the work? And so at that time, and even today, the the church took care of its own. The church took care of its own as they answered the call to minister the gospel and minister the word throughout the world. And that spoke to the world of the belief that the body had in the work that was being conducted. You know, and and to put it in a worldly euphemism, you know, you you put your money where your mouth is, you know, Um, that was the witness it had to the world. I may not believe in it, but you believe in it enough to support it and to to fund it, so okay. The third one, the third motivation I see here is that it's just being obedient to God to do so. Look at verse eight. John says, therefore, we ought to support such people. Ought to. Should. It's expected However many different ways you want to think about that. You know, Christians are called to support the ministry. And those called to it in a, in a vocational full-time sense. Um, we're just called to, all of us, myself included, right? Um, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 Paul was writing, and this is a section where he was talking about Christians carrying one another's burdens, both spiritually and and, and materially. Um, He said this, and and, you know, this particular point, it's a little awkward for me to share, so please bear with me, okay? Um, But let me me get through it here. Galatians 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to the flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work or labor for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Now, Oftentimes we read that section and we go, oh, he's just talking about spiritual things specifically, but he's, he's talking about both. He's talking about both there. And then when, when Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses seven through 13, he, he expands on the same concept. And, and ties the, the concept of supporting those, especially those who are laboring in the ministry, ties it to the concepts of why we give as a church, why we tithe, why, why we're generous in, in that regard. Because the idea is that part of that giving goes to support the livelihood of those who are called to serve full time. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, he says, and this is Paul speaking, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? As I hope you understand why this is a really awkward teaching for me, okay? Um, but, But Paul uses a very key word there. He calls it a right for the minister to be materially taken care of by the body they minister to. You know, there are those in, 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 in church circles today that think the very concept that, that a pastor might draw a salary um, is anti-biblical and how wrong that is. And they just, you know, that no, there should be no paid ministers anywhere in the world. And, and I'm like, why? Well, do you not have Corinthians in your Bible? <laughs> I mean, that's, I don't understand. Um, And then 1 Corinthians 9.14, Paul says, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Now, it's not a right in the sense of any servant to demand that right. It's not a right in in the sense where any full-time servant will be like, well, I'm gonna withhold my service and calling if you don't take care of me. I mean, if that's your attitude, get a different job. Go do something else. You're not called to the ministry. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You know, there are some in the body of Christ that God calls out into full-time ministry and, and, and those that are called are, are the people that are like, I, I, would, I would do this if I didn't get paid for it, and I would. I used to let doves out of boxes at funerals and weddings to pay my bills so I could minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to the body of Christ, right? It's like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes because I have to preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't, right? And any minister and any leader that is in a full-time vocational position, that should be your heart, you know? This is my calling, this is who I am. This isn't my job, this isn't my paycheck. Um, but, but scripturally, it, it, it does seem to indicate that it is disobedient to withhold or to deny that material care from those who are called to serve full-time. Those who are called to serve full-time, it's not I demand, I demand. But on the flip side of the coin, it seems to be disobedient to, to not take care of those materially. And especially those that are called to depend on that for their practical needs, right? You see that in the Old Testament, right? The, the, the priest in the temple, they didn't have land. They didn't get to go out and farm crops. They didn't get to, to earn money from that. They were called to work in the temple, right? And so people would bring in their, their tithes and offerings to the temple, and then the got to got to eat from that. That's how they ate. That's how they lived. That's how they survived. And then you find times in the Old Testament when the people said, forget that nonsense. They need to go out and get a job. And then the Levites were like, well, we need to eat. So they stopped serving in the temple to go work full time and work the land. And then nobody was tending the spiritual needs of the people and the whole thing just went So the idea there is is everybody has a place, right? Everybody has a role in this whole thing. And so today, um, there are still legitimate traveling evangelists and traveling teachers and ministers and missionaries who share that same right. They have a right to be, to be provided for and taken care of by the body. And, and these people who have this right, their, their work is in ministering to the body around the world, taking the gospel out. Um, it, it affords them the opportunity to be provided for and taken care of by the body of Christ. And I mean, we've had so many examples of these types of people here at Hosanna over the years, right, William Graham, he has come, and Dennis Agajanian has come, and incidentally, we're just um, gonna have him do Christmas worship with us on December 11th, and so we're looking forward to that, and uh, Dennis Holt and other missionaries over the years, and these are people that literally full-time go travel the world in the work of the kingdom and the work of the gospel, and, and they, they've come here to our church to share and to minister to the body of Christ here at Hosanna, and every time, we might not take up a special offering for them, but every time, your church, we collectively, we support them. We say, thank you for coming to do the work, and, and we give them, whether it's finances, or we put them up in a hotel so they could stay the night. And so we, we take care of them materially, because that's what we're called to do as the church. So that's the third motivation, because it's obedient to God. But the fourth one, he closes that verse there. He says, so that we can be coworkers with the truth. You know, Gaius not only walked in the truth by expressing love and hospitality, but he helped further the truth by doing so we don't know his exact gifts, right? We're not even entirely sure who this Gaius is specifically. Um, we don't know how he served in the church in different ways, whether he was part of the tech team or, you know, production team. Like right? They didn't have that back then. Um, you know, but, you know, whether he was on the security team or what, we don't know that. But we do know this, that he helped extend and defend truth by practically assisting those who taught and preached that truth. And so by doing that, he was a coworker with them That's an important one, because there are many in the church today who who might want to go out. They're like, I want to go out and do full-time ministry, and, you know, I want to go into the pastoral ministry, or I want to go be a missionary, or I want to go do this, and they have this big desire to to be an itinerant minister, traveling evangelist, or something else like that, but for one reason or another, maybe... It, it's your current family situation, right? Maybe your spouse is like, I ain't going to Siberia, right? You know, maybe, maybe it's like you're in a place where it's like my ministry right now is raising my kids. I can't just abandon my kids and go. Um, maybe it's just that the timing isn't right yet. And so you have this desire to go, but God is saying not yet or, or just no. You can't physically go do that work right now. Or for some, maybe there's a desire on your heart to serve in a particular capacity, but that desire isn't quite in line with the gifts you have, right? It's just, you're just not equipped to do that particular work, and that does happen sometimes. Guess what? If you're in either one of those categories, you can still be a coworker in the work of the gospel and the truth going forth. You can still be a part of that by practically and materially assisting and supporting others who can go or who can do the thing, and you are no less a part of that ministry by writing a check or opening your door or providing some material funds, you are no less a part of the ministry by doing that than if you were the one on the front line. You're just as much a part of that work. Earlier this year, I wanted to go to the Ukraine really bad when the war first broke out and had an opportunity to go sit with another ministry and they're like, we're mobilizing people and there's like, thousands and thousands and thousands of refugees and moms and their kids and there's no food and we just need people to bring food and water and the gospel and I'm like, sign me up. I'm like, I'm on the first plane out of here. I just was so excited to go, I'm not married, I don't have any kids, I can up and leave. And then God graciously through some very close friends of mine were like, "Uh, Pastor Nathan? You're kind of Pastor Nathan now. (laughs) We, we, need you, we need you at the church. And I was like, ah, you're right. You're absolutely right, you know. I wanted to go, but, but but that wasn't God's call in my life. God's call in my life was here to this fellowship. But guess what? I was able to go by writing a check and supporting the missionaries that went. I was able to support the the, the organizations that are out there, and as a church, we still support far-reaching ministries who's doing just so much work. I think they're feeding um, like 300,000 families right now that are, that are on the border there and, and they're just providing food and water and needs to them. I was able to, to go be a co-worker in that work simply by saying, you know what? I have funds, I can support it. I can't go to every country in the world and bring a, a, a Christmas shoebox to the kids. How cool would that be, right? To hand the box to the kids and see their eyes. I mean, wow, what an amazing opportunity that would be. But I, I can't go all over the world to do that but I can go to Target for 30 minutes, build a shoe box, spend 10 bucks for the shipping, and then pray for that box and whoever that kid's gonna go to and then, and then trust that, that the organization, Samaritan's Purse is gonna get that box for those kids. I can do that, I can do that. You know, it's one thing to, stand against false teachers and false doctrine, which was kind of what Second John was all about, but it's another thing to proactively open your home, open your heart, and open our wallets to promote the truth and the furtherance of the gospel. And we need both. We need both to be, to be strong, healthy, and effective in the world for the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to be both discerning and ready to jump in. We need to both be careful in who we allow in and then generous with those who are right on in doing the work and maybe we can't go but they can. We need people like Gaius, spiritually healthy, obedient to the word, loving truth, such that they would share what they have Helping materially those who can go and who, those who can do for the furtherance of the truth of Jesus Christ. Now unfortunately, not everybody in the church is like Gaius, and that's what we'll deal with next week. Because as dangerous as it is to let in any and all false teachers and false beliefs in the name of love and tolerance, it's equally as dangerous to ever think that we are so right, we are so important, individually, that we ever abandon love in the name of truth and by doing so, substitute truth for pride, which leads to us abandoning real love and real truth altogether for power and control. And that's what we're gonna be looking at next week. But for today, I just wanna challenge you all to leave here. Be like this guy, us. Be like this guy. Let us be known as people who walk in the truth who love the truth and defend the truth and stand for the truth and are a part of the truth and want to see the truth go out, let us be people known for that. Let us be known for people expressing the love of God. But not just love in itself, but but expressing the truth in love. Let us be known by the world as people who so believe in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we regularly and willingly and joyfully open our hearts, open our homes with discernment, but for those that are legitimate, to open up our hearts, our homes, and our wallets when called to, to encourage, promote, defend, and support the furtherance of the truth, the saving truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. Many of us in this room and watching online, it's changed your life, and you know it. You know it. You know the power of the truth of Jesus. And if God calls you to go somewhere and take it and do that work full-time, amen! But if God's not calling you to that yet, be like Gaius and ready to say, how can I help? How can I assist? How can I support? So that that work would not be hindered, because loving the truth truly means loving truly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, so much. Lord, you're calling us to be people who, who are a part of the work you want to do in this world. And Lord, a big part of that work is, is, is material help. That doesn't just mean money. But Lord, sometimes we're called to open our doors and to provide a place to sleep. Maybe sometimes, Lord, we're called to buy a pair of shoes or a new jacket for someone who is, who is out serving the Lord full time and, and their, their entire life's commitment is into that work, Lord, and so they don't necessarily have the place to go and, and, and earn a paycheck in the way we might understand that in our modern ears, and Lord, so, so we are called to take care of them to provide for them so that they could do the work you're calling them to do. And so God, I pray, Lord, that, that as we are people who love the truth, that means that we would love the truth in action, we would get behind the spreading of that truth in, in whatever way we can, Lord. And we thank you for opportunities like Operation Christmas Child. And we thank you for organizations like Far Reaching Ministries that we get to support, God, who are, who are on the front lines. And we thank you, God, for missionaries and others, Lord, that, that would even come into our church, our sanctuary here locally and minister the gospel and the truth of the word to us, God. We thank you for the opportunity to provide and take care of them. And so, Lord, if any of us have been not obedient in this, God, because, Lord, one of the motivations to, to be openly hospitable this way is, is because we want to be obedient to you, God. I just pray, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts and um, help us to come to that place of obedience. to To be a part of the work that you are doing in this world, God, even though we may not physically individually be able to, to go. We are still a part of that work when we support those who can. And so, Lord, we just commit our hearts to you and say, God, do a work in our hearts. Help us to be a part of that work through whatever way you're calling us to do, God. But, Lord, if that way is call, call, through supporting materially, practically, God, that we would be faithful in doing so. Lord, that when the world would look at the church, they would see a body of people who take care of their own, who so believe in the work of the kingdom that they get behind it practically, materially and financially when necessary. Thank you, God, for your provision, Lord. You have been so faithful with this body in providing for this church and the work that we're doing here, God, and we just thank you and look forward to your continued faithfulness, God, in working through your people to provide for the work here. And help us to not have closed eyes to any new work you want to do, whether it's inside or outside, God, that you would have a support as a body here at Hosanna, Lord. To see the gospel of Jesus Christ go forth, to see the truth of your word um, just penetrate people's lives and to see lives changed. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship, guys.